If there's one phrase that sums up the physical therapy profession, that phrase would be, it depends. Welcome to the Tales from the Plant podcast, where we will explore the notorious it depends phrase through interesting and in-depth interviews with physical therapists from all types of practice. Join us for inspiration, laughs, and tips and tricks in starting and improving your clinical practice. Welcome Welcome to to Tales Tales from from the Plant podcast. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Tales from the Plinth. Today, we have Brenna Powers with us. Can you say hey to the audience? Hi. (laughs) All right, uh, Brenna, can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so um, I graduated from Gannon in 2019, and I did my undergraduate there as well. So my undergraduate background is in sport and exercise science, Um, and I did the three plus three track. So after three years of undergrad, I went straight into the DPT program. So that was pretty nice. I got to cut out a whole year. Um, And then right after that, I took a job um, in central Ohio. So I'm working in um, a neuromuscular follow-up clinic right now. So tell us a little bit about that follow-up clinic. What what does like a day in the life of Brenna Powers look like? So on the days um, when there is clinic, so we don't have clinic every single day, but on the day when there is clinic, um, more than one of me, more than one physical therapist is in this multidisciplinary clinic. So um, we see patients with um, several different types of neuromuscular disorders. So they come and they're seen maybe once every six months or once every 12 months, but they get to see multiple disciplines. So they'll get to see um, a neurologist, a genetic counselor, OT, PT, nutrition. So they get to come and be followed and um, we get to make sure that all of their needs are being met and we get to um, follow up with them to make sure that they're getting all of the proper care. Um, So that would last all day long and we would see anywhere from eight to 10 patients in a day. So um, more or less from my end, what I really do is since I'm not doing the typical like physical therapy treatment, um, what that kind of looks like for us is we evaluate the patient every time they come in and we update the family on how they are doing compared to their previous visits. And then we kind of provide any education on um, trying to optimize function in their home community or school environment. So we do a lot of um, con- communicating between the school setting, because I work in a pediatric setting. So communicating with the schools to make sure they're getting all of the proper accommodations and making sure that their home environment is accessible. Okay, nice. Is this now, are they, are these, you said you're working in the pediatric realm. So are these kids that have went through maybe the typical physical therapy plan previously and are now being followed up? Or is this kind of what these kids have always been just like the follow-up occasionally? So it's different depending on like your neuromuscular disease. So um, some patients see physical therapy regularly and some patients do not. So I think it's really dependent on what your diagnosis is and what works best for, um, for your family. So a lot of the times it can be different um, and there's not really a set um, standard of 
what's correct and what's not correct. It's just all very interdependent. That's really cool. Um, what made you or what interests you in this kind of field? So I always knew I wanted to work in pediatrics. Um, that's the reason why I got into physical therapy. I, my goal was to always work with kids um, when I graduated. And I, but I thought neuro was super cool too. It was kind of that subject that I didn't see coming where I was like, oh man, neuro is gonna be super hard, but it kind of also blew my mind, which was so cool. <laughs> so I knew that I didn't want to do just one thing like I knew I wanted to be able to be um, flexible and I when I saw that this job was posted um, for pediatrics and neuromuscular disorders I thought that this could be a really um, perfect job for me to be in both of um, the parts of physical therapy that I love. Now since you're I'm assuming you're only seeing your patients that you think you said every six to 12 months mm -hmm. um, how's that a little How's that kind of impact your patient provider relationship? Because you're not seeing them every other day, like a lot of other providers. Right. So it is different in that sense that we don't have that um, where we're tracking their progress like every single day. Like we don't have the same experience as a physical therapist who is seeing them for treatments would. So it does kind of create that boundary of we're only seeing them every six to 12 months. So it's really important then for us to have that whole picture. So we spend a lot of time with the families. And like I said, um, there's a lot of communication with um, the providers that do see them more frequently. So we get the whole picture. So it does impact that relationship with them in that way. However, sometimes we end up seeing these children for their entire lifespan. So the, we become familiar with them in that sense too. <laughs> so how much, how much time do you, would you say that you spend, I think you said you see about six to eight patients a day, typically, how much time are you spending like with the families and like that whole education piece? Because I feel like, you know, that's, especially with the interdisciplinary and I'm sure they see a lot of people in a day, you know, all the families. So how much specific time like ballpark do you spend with each patient in that kind of setting? So it really depends on what the family needs. So I find that I'm never spending the same amount of time with a family on any given visit. So sometimes it can be a really quick, we do our evaluation, we chat and that we have met all of their needs in that short conversation. But sometimes there can be a lot of um, education that needs to be provided or they have a lot of questions for me or there needs to be a lot more follow-up. So it's really variable. So sometimes you can be spending 45 minutes to an hour with them too. So it's really just depending on what the family needs in that moment and that visit. Okay. Now, I think something that's really, I know, I think, beneficial of this kind of setting is you said that you follow a lot of these kids through adulthood which I know for certain diseases I think like most uh, muscular dystrophy is a big one where it's seen as kind of a pediatric disease right so a lot of times people don't get the PT they need into adulthood right so you've been there two years but 
have you seen maybe in certain cases how even in six months the needs kind of drastically change for a certain patient? Absolutely. So there, like you had touched on with muscular dystrophy, like there are some, well, there are most neuromuscular disorders that are progressive um, without treatment. So I should, I guess I should rephrase the way I say that. So the neuromuscular disorders that we see in our follow-up clinics are progressive in nature without treatment. So yes, um, even in the time frame of a six to 12 month span, we can see um, a drastic change in the child's or adult's function. Okay. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, I think that that's kind of telling, you know, cause a lot of episodes of care, I feel like don't last six months. Right. So even if you're seeing a patient for three months or four months, whatever it is, and then you say, okay, your discharge, you did great. Who's to say a few months down the road, you know, they're not going to have new needs. So I think that's really cool that you guys can kind of see them for this prolonged kind of more drawn out period of time where you can really touch and, and get those needs met that need to be. Absolutely. <laughs> I thought it was really cool how you had talked about these conditions are progressive without treatment because a lot of what we learn in school is just the blanket term. They're progressive, right? Um, and kind of going back on your conversation with the families you know, it's something that I'm experiencing in clinic now that's oftentimes it's difficult to communicate to a patient about their condition and, you know, not scare them or, or put any worries or fears in their head. How, how have you dealt with that in your time? So there are many different like neuromuscular disorders that follow in that fall into the category of a neuromuscular disease. So when you were talking about with muscular dystrophy, um, we typically don't recommend physical therapy intervention, because as you've learned in school, that the muscle protein doesn't, the muscle protein isn't active. So it doesn't like build up the way that a typical muscle would. So sometimes overworking those muscles can cause increase like breakdown of the muscle. So we try not, we recommend typical play with rest breaks is really what we recommend for muscular dystrophy because we want to avoid overworking those muscles. So communicating to that to the parents can be difficult because you don't want them to say, let your child sit on the couch and be a couch potato. <laughs> but healthy movement and exercise is really important. So that can be a difficult conversation with parents too, because there's no straight answer that says, this is exactly the right amount of exercise that you need to have in order for your child to like be successful because they are progressive in nature. So it's inevitable that their function is going to decline over time. So on the flip side of that, spinal muscular atrophy is another type of neuromuscular disorder, but there is treatment because the genetic problem is not in the muscle, it's in the central, nerve, in the central nervous system. So there's treatment for that. And with that treatment, children are able to 
maintain function. Does that make sense? <laughs> so that's a very difficult question to answer. So yes, so we're dealing with two different sides of neuromuscular disorder. So I oftentimes flip back and forth with being like, we want to find a healthy balance and physical therapy is going to be good for your child because with the treatment, they will, um, they have the ability to gain function because they, when they have the treatment, they have the ability to, there's nothing wrong with the muscle. So they can gain muscle strength, I guess. That makes perfect sense. Thank you for <laughs> clarifying that. No, that's definitely not an easy question that I asked either. So great answer. Um, I do have a follow-up to that too. So first off, I think it's super impressive anytime a provider with the level of skill that, that you have can say, hey, you know what? It's actually better that I do nothing or very little for you as opposed to a lot. I think that shows discipline. And I think that shows more skill than it takes to say, hey, I'm going to do a bunch of stuff, right? right. Um, and kind of along a similar line, um, do you find yourself spending a good amount of time really engaging the parents um, and teaching them ways that maybe you would facilitate things in their child or something like that. Like how much do you teach the parents before they go home with their baby and just do play or something? So a lot of the education that I provide to parents is very ambiguous, which can be really frustrating to them <laughs> because there's a, a lot of my education is focused on energy conservation in management of fatigue. So there's not really a lot of education on like what activity is best for them to do. So it's more or less, how can we make the activity that we're doing safe for them? So I try to kind of dive into what their day-to-day -day is like and show them how to look for signs of over fatigue um, and how to know when maybe what they did the day before was too much and how they can modify their activity so that their child is able to like make it through the whole day without becoming over fatigued or over exerted. So that's what the main focus of um, a lot of my parent education is. Because if you think about it, if you have a child, especially depending on what age they're in, trying to direct them to do something else can be a little bit difficult. <laughs> So that's a good point, actually. So we, we've been in clinic two days. And one thing that I've really found is that people want black and white answers. Like they yeah. want to know exactly why their hip hurts, right? And they really want to know this exactly or this exactly not and what they can and can't do. And it always comes back to like, it depends thing, right? So it's not like you're saying a baby can't do this specifically. It's more like, okay, we just have to tone it, dial it back a little bit. Right. So I think that's a really, I, I think it's an acquired skill, you know, something that takes some practice, a lot of practice. Definitely two years of practice. <laughs> <laughs> and along your, your second point. So we had a, um, a patient came in today and he had to bring his son. He was probably like four years old. I mean, he was just running around like a crazy man in the treatment room. So how do you kind of, how have you learned to kind of keep, and I know you work a lot with page or with parents, but I'm sure there's some patients like that are of the age group where you can talk more with them. How do you kind of 
keep that going along the path that you want it to. You know, maybe if you're doing some kind of assessment with them and they're being a kid, you know, and just playing around, how do you kind of keep them engaged and dialed into what you want? Well, <laughs> I'm not above bribery with prizes. So <laughs> <laughs> that is not beneath me at all. <laughs> so a lot of the time um, I encourage parents to come back. Um, sometimes kids respond better if their parent is with them. Sometimes they respond better if their parent is without them. So I think it's really dependent on um, the child, but also prizes, bubbles. We have tons of toys littered throughout the clinic area. So whatever I have to do to get them to perform the assessment the way that I need it done, we can do that. Stickers, you name it. <laughs> That's awesome. We should start doing that with adults too. I don't know. I think it would work pretty good. There you go. <laughs> do you find that, you know, with these progressive disorders, or even the ones that, you know, they have a longer lifespan. Do you find that when patients are old enough and even their parents are pretty well versed in what their child needs and what's kind of your role at that point? So I think um, I remember learning in school that at some point the parent and the patient become the expert. And I think that that is so true. So, um, just providing the support that they need, if they have that need, I think is exactly what you can do. So um, I just try to be that support that they need and that extra beam of you have me on your side and I'm here to help you through whatever that you need. So like I had said before, um, going into school, sometimes they need that extra level of validation from someone who has evaluated them like providing that extra support or even if it's on like a job or career path like being able to provide that additional um education on like hey have you tried this like if you're experiencing extra fatigue now that you're transitioning into this new job or college like have you tried doing this instead so just trying to remain creative and like just adapting your education from a child to an adolescent to an adult. So it's just still maintaining that solid, steady support throughout. And then maybe less prizes. I don't know. <laughs> so what's your favorite part about working with these kids? Mm -hmm. I think my favorite part is that the kids just have no filter. They say whatever is on their minds and it, and they just have, I, I just, you just never know what they're going to say. <laughs> they have absolutely, um, and they have so much resilience, I think, like, and it's just amazing to see their bravery and their resilience and um, being able to be a part of that journey and like to have to be able to play that role and allowing them to like optimize the function that they have and to be able to participate in their environment is really rewarding to know that, that they are able to continue to interact with their peers in school and at home. So I actually 
kind of want to switch gears here if we can, guys. I'm super interested in your work in the research setting as well. Ironically enough, um, all three of us are actually doing some type of independent study related to a research study next semester. So we are cool. going to a bunch of questions. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> so I guess we'll start off just based off of that. What, um, what got you started in that setting? So I actually did my independent study with Kristen. So that's kind of like what started my research um, interest, I guess I should say. So I, that research project really kind of set an example for me of like what I could be doing. I was like, oh, this is cool. So when I applied for this position, it was both. Um, so in order, so I applied for the job and it's both clinical and research. So it's all like one job. So all five of us do clinical and research together. Um, but that's kind of like where my interest in it came from was from Kristen Starsky. So you can give her a little shout out for me. <laughs> Let her have the credit for that. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because she is actually the founder will say of this podcast she she came up with the idea on her own she's an amazing <laughs> teacher and an amazing professor an amazing woman and she is a visionary in our program she is. Sure. and she hates credit <laughs> so we're going to give her all the credit so Kristen you get all the credit whether you like it or not yep all the credit goes to her she's awesome <laughs> she is okay now Brenna so do you think so this is jumping ahead a little bit but I know one one reason I think I wanted to do something in the research uh, realm for my independent studies. I feel like it sets you apart, like resume wise. Did you feel that was the case with maybe the job seeking process? Do you feel that your research was something that companies might have looked at and kind of set you apart from the rest of your cohort? I think if you're going into a research position. I think it definitely helps to have that. I can't speak for all employers out there, but I think that if you have an interest in research, definitely getting your feet wet with research in your graduate career is definitely helpful. And it also helps set the stage for what to expect. Um, it gives you a little bit of a taste of like, okay, could I do this every single day? <laughs> for many 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 weeks at a time <laughs> so what i don't know if we asked you yet but what exactly are you researching right now so actually <laughs> i can tell you i mean we have multiple projects that we're working on um, but i can tell you about one really cool project that we are doing um so my colleagues so they developed this like way before I joined um but we're called its name is called the 5000 baby project so what it is is it's a camera um that videotapes infant movement so at its inception they were using color tracking so they would put a, a baby on like a blank like white surface and they would um use like pink and yellow markers on the hands and feet and green and blue mark pink and yellow on the hands and green and yellow I can't talk sorry 
Anyways, so they would use four different colors on the right and left hand and the right and left foot. And the video camera would pick up the variability in the infant's movement. So what we would, they did is they quantified that to show that there is a difference in movement for a typically developing infant and a non-typically developing infant, even before a physician could pick it up. So the um, population that they did the study in was with spinal muscular atrophy. So the infants that they that were not typically developing were considered asymptomatic um, or like pre-symptomatic, I guess is the word for it, pre-symptomatic. So they have the diagnosis of SMA, but were considered like not showing any symptoms at all. But the active mini is what um, the, the whole device is called, picked up that there are indeed differences in movement, even like early on in infancy, when they weren't being able to be detected by like the naked eye. So what we've done with that now, um, my colleagues have turned it into an even bigger project. So what we're doing now is we're using the same camera, except um, we're not using color tracking anymore. We are looking at skeletal tracking. So they're trying to create um, an infant skeleton. Um, we're working with Microsoft Philanthropies to help develop this infant skeleton. And we are um, looking, we're asking for part participants, so infants zero to six months of age, um, and we're videotaping them under the camera so that we can look at all infants, um, those considered healthy, those with all different kinds of diagnoses, so we can create um, an algorithm that lets us know if infants in that time frame are at risk for a developmental delay. Wow, that is really awesome. <laughs> It is a really cool project. So that's it's called the 5,000 Baby Project because we're trying to enroll 5,000 babies. <laughs> okay. Wow, that's I'm sure that's got to be a lot of work. Is that kind of most of your time during the week or? So we have a lot of help. So <laughs> that is super nice. Um, but it is really cool um, to be able to see like where this project will take us for sure. But that's one of the big projects that we're working on right now. Um, but we have many balls up in the air. <laughs> Absolutely, I'm sure. And so I'm, I'm assuming you have all sorts of like software people and computer people and stuff. What exactly is your role in that project, Brenna? Can you elaborate on it? So we did a lot of the initial like recruitment. So we were out. Um, asking parents if they wanted to participate. Um, we're also doing, um, not me personally, but I have colleagues that are like doing comparative data analysis. So watching the videos. Um, and then we do have like the software people that are working on it as well. But so we do a lot, just even in generally speaking, we do a lot of like data analysis, data entry, and recruitment of um, subjects, as well as like the data collection, which is like the functional testing. <laughs> Were you a big fan of EBP back in uh, <laughs> or? Actually, I wasn't interested until I actually did the research <laughs> credit until I did my independent study. But um, 
You would think so now. Now I am. Now I'm a big EVP nerd. So <laughs> I feel like that's so cool to like actually see kind of the product of research and how it can impact, you know, people across the country, like people everywhere kind of impact Absolutely. how, um, you know, parents care for their babies and, you know, getting that preventative care and all that. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> did you ever see yourself, or I guess you mentioned, did you ever see yourself going into research, going into physical therapy school? Not when I was going into PT school. Um, I thought I would do strictly pediatrics outpatient. Um, and then through the curriculum, I really got interested in like gait analysis. And I thought that was super cool. And I learned more about that and saw um, that gate analysis has a lot of like data, like compiling data and looking at all of that and like research behind that. And then I got interested in the research that I did with Kristen. So this is kind of like a mashup of all of those things. So I think it just took me my whole three years of PT school to realize that this was something that I was really interested in because I didn't think it at all. I was like, research is going to be so boring. Like, <laughs> I have no interest in that at all. But when you, it combines with something that you're like really passionate about, um, it becomes really worth it and satisfying to see it all come together. I'd like to say I fall literally into that same boat. Like, I'll be <laughs> completely transparent. I mean, like, you know, I, I like having Kristen teach us, but I wasn't the biggest fan of the subject of EVP. And she came to me. Um, I was completely set on doing another type of uh, independent study and elective during my last year. Mm -hmm. And she came to me with this idea for this study, um, analyzing um, weightlifting movements, which is a huge passion of mine. And all of a sudden I was all on board. So it was like, yeah, no, no problem. I'd be glad to. Definitely. It just, you just have to find that thing that like, is like your jam. It's so exciting. You're like, yes. Like, so I want to learn you, more about this. I want other people to know about this. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, um, I'm actually going to have the opportunity to work with, um, I don't know if they had this maybe when you were at Gannon, um, did they have the motion analysis lab and everything like that too? It's actually um, like over in the engineering students area. I don't, it doesn't sound familiar. I don't think they, we were yeah. never over in, in like Zern science center. Something like that. Yeah, I haven't been there yet, but I'm really excited to use it. So I just wanted to pick your brain about it. That's cool. I haven't had the opportunity, but I totally would. I would take advantage of that. That sounds super cool. <laughs> so with your current um, and background kind of work in research, do you see yourself maybe going into a teaching role one day? I would like to. I would like to get into academics. I think that would be super cool. Um, I definitely see that being more like in the future. I'm really enjoying what I'm doing now. Um, but I've always thought that that would be really cool to be the That's Kristen great. Snarsky of somewhere. Yes, the future <laughs> Kristen Snarsky. Yeah, it means more of those. <laughs> so, um, uh, what do you think makes a good research physical therapist? You know, what kind of characteristics really feed into being successful in that sect of the career? I think you have to have a lot of patience. <laughs> you have to have a lot of patience to wait for your results because it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of dedication 
to go through um after you've been doing all like the fun stuff so like all of the patient facing stuff is the fun stuff um but like when you're working and doing all of your number crunching and like writing up the papers and all of that i think it takes a lot of patience and a lot of determination to be like i want everybody to see all of this and, and i think it takes a lot of flexibility too to be able to um, modify your schedule to make it work because no one wants to sit in front of their computer for eight hours like that's the opposite reason of why you go to PT school right <laughs> but um, sometimes that's exactly what it takes so being flexible with knowing that this is going to pay off um, and that knowing that not everything it goes exactly as you plan it either <laughs> Right. I think this whole career, like anyone in this profession really needs to be adaptable and resilient and, you know, patient with our patients and all that. (laughs) So how do you think your schooling kind of influenced, um, or even your clinical rotation, how did they influence kind of the PT you've become today? So I remember in my last two clinical experiences um being so ready to just like go out and be a physical therapist already you should be licensed and be done with it but i remember from those two clinical experiences in particular is just knowing that you don't know it all so really teaching me to be a sponge and to learn from my colleagues and to learn from the other physicians and to even learn from your patients. Um, There's always new things that you can know. You never will know absolutely everything there is to know about the field that you're working in. So in those last two clinical experiences, I really learned that even though I was ready to be out on my own and to be a PT and to do everything myself um, that you never really truly know everything and that there's always opportunities to learn and to be a better clinician. I think that's perfect. I mean, that's, (laughs) that's just the attitude that I feel like you have to have, right? Like you have to be a lifelong learner and the field is changing all the time. I mean, even the last 10, 20 years, I mean, therapy has changed dramatically, right? Mm -hmm. So you can't go in thinking you know everything and then you know the rest of the field is going to pass you by if you don't keep up right Right. and just keeping an open mind I know we keep talking about clinic because we're excited we're there I mean there's been multiple (laughs) times already where my CI has been like yeah initially this was you know acting just like diagnosis a right but we tried that out and it wasn't working for a couple weeks so we had to switch gears right and be Mm open-minded and try new things and it can't be that that narrow scope and he, he's a big McKenzie guy, but he realizes that it doesn't necessarily work for every single patient, right? So he has right. to keep an open mind, which is really, I mean, cool about it, you know, and that's, that's, I think the beauty of it is that the it depends, you know, phrase is it, it always really does depend and there isn't any black and white. Mm-mm. It's really frustrating, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> And I think you really hit on an important part too, is that you can't go into um, expecting every patient to be the same. So every patient, no matter their diagnosis is an individual. So you 
it's so important to treat them as so and tailor their plan of care accordingly. There it is, folks. Take the advice. Awesome <laughs> words from Brenna Powers. All right. Well, thanks, Brenna. This was awesome. I mean, really great information. I think you're a very unique, you know, style and setting, which is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> We've had a lot of outpatient, you know, orthos, which have all been great, but we do like seeing the kind of unique side and just, I, I feel like I learn every day about a different aspect of PT that is possible. So that's great and amazing. Yeah, it's really great. I would recommend it. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you again. We really appreciate you taking the time coming on and sharing all that great info with us. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. All righty. So we will see you later, Brenna. All right. Good luck in the future. <laughs> thank you. Good luck to you guys as well. Thank you.